Andy Byford, we hardly knew you. Steve Burns, you cover transportation issues on WCBS 880. How big a deal was it that the head of the New York City subway system resigned last week? It was a huge deal. I think people were halfway expecting this because he put out that resignation letter a few months ago and then rescinded it and said, you know, I'll keep trying for a little while. But when the news finally broke that he was leaving, it took a lot of people by surprise. And uh, there was some some mourning, it sounded like, going on. People were really sad to see him go. Well, Bill is shaking his head in here, and we had a conversation just the other day, Bill Tyner, who does our engineering. We had a conversation the other day about how Andy Byford's voice is still on the subway system, welcoming patrons and thanking them for their uh, participation. He really became the kind of the public face of New York City transit, and and, uh, there were some some stickers and and kind of decals that went around. He became uh, known as the train daddy, kind of his moniker, his, his joking moniker and it sounded like he was ready to accept it and that was his big thing is he wanted the accountability he wanted to be the public face he wanted his feet held to the fire that's not something you see very often in these monolithic authorities speaking of which we love calling our transit system the biggest in the world and tied to the largest network of suburban commuter rail lines nobody is bigger but this week on 880 in-depth why bigger is definitely not better I'm Tim Sheld with Steve Burns. Steve, few more important things to our economy and our city as a transportation system that, that operates effectively. It gets people to jobs. It gets people where they need to go. Uh, transportation, effective transportation is key to an effective economy. And uh, we could say for maybe the past decade, New York has had some serious problems with that. It has improved recently, but there's still a lot down the line that uh, people are looking for when they come to New York and they want to get around. So we brought in good government advocate Rachel Foss uh, from reInvent Albany to talk to us about the MTA, and here we go. I think the biggest question to kind of distill everything that we're, the confusion, the just everything people are feeling right now, who is in charge at the MTA? I think there's one, one answer to that, and that's Governor Cuomo. I think, uh, unfortunately, it's taking considerable advocacy and convincing of the public and elected leaders that that is the case. Um, you know, and other, other right organizations other than mine, reInvent Albany, like Riders Alliance, have a hashtag, Cuomo's MTA, for that exact reason. Um, you know, he controls it through appointing the chairman and CEO, who's the one who hires all the staff. And he also controls it through the board where he has a, a plurality of appointments. And we can get into exactly what that means later. But, uh, but the fact that that is even in question, that right. it's not really clear who's in charge at the MTA. And there has to be that advocacy campaign to say it's Governor Cuomo. What does that say about how the MTA was organized, put together, that that's not even a clear thing that people know, that this is the person to hold accountable? Well, it's a public authority. And for those that don't know exactly what that means, it's it's not a government agency like, you know, the Department of Transportation or the Department of Sanitation, where it's, you know, a simple governor appoints head, the commissioner. It's a different structure. And it's largely set up that way because, you know, Elected officials got sick of having to raise the fares and being blamed for it. So they set up a public authority where that's got a, you know, quote unquote, independent board. And and then, you know, they're the ones who are responsible for those fare hikes instead of the elected officials. 
over the years, we've seen changes in um, how New York City governs. Uh, the Board of Education is one that went through a dramatic change. Uh, the, the Board of Estimate, remember the day when the borough presidents were all in, engaged? That went away. Has the MTA become a similarly obsolete and needs that kind of a sea change? I think the issue with the MTA is it's it's not just one agency, and I know we're going to talk about Andy Byford and New York City Transit later, but you know it's multiple agencies. There's Metro North Railroad, there's Long Island Railroad, there's New York City Transit, and you know those three operating agencies together with um, you know bridges and tunnels, which is another authority. You know they're all managed by um, the MTA, which is the over arching uh, public authority. And, you know, there's been a lot of changes to even that structure happening right now. There's a reorganization plan that's um, trying to bring those disparate pieces together and centralizing it. But I think there have been some unintended or perhaps intended consequences of that. And, um, you know, we can talk about that later as well. But, you know, I think as a structure, it's incredibly complicated. It was, you know, set up that way because bondholders, you know, because the MTA has a lot of debt, that's something pretty well known. Um, all those separate agencies had to keep their debt separate. So when they tried to merge the agency, they weren't able to effectively do that because there was so much leftover debt that they had to do this complicated board that governs it all. So is cleaning it up even possible to that extent? That that I know? think I think the issue here now, um, you know, fortunately for like we talked about at the beginning, is that it is the governor's agency, and now you know I think. The more that the public understands that it is his, the more that they can lay at his feet the responsibility for making sure that the agencies work together. You know, I think a perfect example of how they really need to work together more is that Metro North and Long Island Railroad, they both are commuter railroads. They both, you know, and there's all these plans with east side access and Penn access for both commuter railroads to go into Penn Station and Grand Central. There's just a lot of opportunity for things to work better together. And I think, again, you know, it goes back to the governor and making sure that he delivers on that. Does it does it suffer, uh, ask either one of you, does this suffer because it's so deep in the weeds and that people who ride Long Island Railroad and get so frustrated by the service or people who, you know, are on the subway systems and can't seem to get the, the right line and get on time, uh, that people don't understand who, who actually answers, the, uh, you know, the responsibility of this? I, I think that's right. I think, you know, your average rider sees their daily commute and they see the problems and, you know, they're trying to assign blame. They're trying to figure it all out. And, and, and there's a gap. There's a gap in knowledge. Um, but I think that, you know, with Andy Byford was somebody who tried to, you know, identify personally with himself as the leader of New York City Transit. Um, you know, it would be great to see that kind of ownership from the governor as well. One thing that's so frustrating to me when I cover the MTA's governance and, and who's in charge, who's making decisions. Uh, the L train is a perfect example to me. This is something that was vetted and, and everyone thought it was figured out years in advance. Uh, Governor Cuomo comes in right at the end and says, wait, we're going to do it in an entirely different way. And whether that new way is better or not, we can debate that. But I think the point is that the board didn't really get a say in that. And he, I remember a press conference in, I think this past September, went down into the tunnel, said, look at all this stuff that we did. This is working out great. And then the day after that, point blank told reporters, I'm not in charge of the MTA, right after standing in a tunnel and saying, look at how great this thing that I did for the MTA was. Do you think the governor realizes his responsibility or is he kind of playing his cards here? I think the more that the governor has criticized the MTA and laid blame at their feet, 
their disorganization or, you know, their um, archaic management or governance structures we talked about. I think he's trying to create distance between himself and the agency, that it's it's their fault. And another thing we've seen is, you know, the L train had these outside experts, right? The deans of Columbia, um, Cornell, if I remember right, the exact universities, you know, they were brought in to say, the MTA couldn't figure this out. We're going to figure it out. So, you know, again and again, we have these task forces or these commissions or boards that get set up to say, MTA, they can't figure it out. Governor Cuomo, I'm going to come save this situation by creating this outside body. But what that just does is creates distance between himself and the agency. And I think that's been, um, you know, a disservice to the public in terms of accountability because it confuses things profoundly. Yeah, it seems like he's always trying to swoop in, kind of save the day. Uh, But you look back, I mean, this is his third term as governor right now. Would it be fair to say that it was under his watch where things deteriorated in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the L train, the plans for it, he was governor of the MTA or governor of the state and, uh, you know, responsible for the MTA at that time. I think the this crisis on the subways in 2017 was also, um, you know, during his term. He came in in 2011. That's six years later. Um, so I think it's important to know to note the the exact timeline here and uh, think about think about history mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of the governor's role. So Steve, what about Andy Byford? He came in a couple of years ago. Um, this visionary from Toronto, uh, the governor and his staff must have loved something about him. They they had him uh, on advisory committees before he was even handed the job of the TA. They liked him. They, he really was the star of the show in terms of good transit. He worked up uh, his way up uh, the ranks in London. He went to Toronto, turned that system around, and he really was the, the brightest star in the transit world. And when he came to New York, it was kind of seen as, as something fitting, the, the biggest transit star coming to the biggest transit system. And there were high hopes for him. And you could say he delivered on a lot of those high hopes. Uh, it's just an open question now of what more he could have done with more time question we put to Rachel Foss. He is a global expert and, you know, he re-signaled the system in Toronto. He brought that that same person, Pete Tomlin, who is departing and going out the door with him. And, you know, that type of leadership is going to be difficult to find, mostly because as his resignation letter, Andy Byford specifically noted, this reorganization they're doing, they're actually taking the head, the president of New York City Transit isn't going to be the president that we know it to be anymore. It's going to be a role that's reduced to operations. So he came in with the expertise to do, you know, resignaling and operations all at once. And now they're going to take that away from that position. So I think that's something important to note that the New York City Transit president head, that position is not going to be the same as it was in the past. Is it, is it at all connected, you think, the governor? Uh, he, he denies it, obviously, but was there some kind of personal conflict there between him and Andy Byford? And was that reorganization maybe a result of that? Yeah, I, the reorganization, I mean, our organization, Reinvent Albany, and others worked on this as it was happening. It was fast, hasty. They passed it in the budget last year in April. And then three months later, they had a plan to fix the whole agency. You know, it's a $17 billion operating agency. I think fixing it in three months and figuring out a reorganization plan that short time is just, you know, ill-conceived. Back office stuff, you know, human resources, IT, consolidating those types of things together, those things make perfect sense. But when you get down to the nitty gritty of running an agency and, you know, knowing how to 
what needs to be spent to upgrade the system while you're operating it at the same time. I think you could definitely argue that they, the reorganization went too far in trying to you know, fragment that position. Would you say that uh, losing Andy Byford could have an impact on the forward momentum that the subways were seeing in the past year or so? Yeah, I, you know, one can hope that his vision will continue under the leaders he has. You know, Sally Labrera is the head of the subways. She'll hopefully continue that work. And same with the bus reorganizations that are taking place. But, you know, without a head of New York City Transit who's responsible for all of that anymore, you know, they took the engineers and now that's to this capital construction agency headed by Jano Lieber, um, you know, there's not going to be a single person that the buck stops with anymore in terms of the subways other than the governor, of course. So, but within the agency, there's not going to be that single point of accountability. And I think that's the thing that's um, important for riders to think about. It's really going to be back to the governor. Yeah, that was always striking to me when I spoke with Andy Byford. He was the one person within the MTA that would constantly repeat the phrase, I'm accountable for this. I remember when a piece of debris fell from the A train in Queens and we talked to him after that. He said, this is my thing. Hold me accountable for this. I will fix this. This is on me. Uh, And it's really striking to me that, you know, you ask, I mean, I'm sure some of us could come up with some names, but you ask other people, who were Andy Byford's predecessors? Who, Who was in charge of NYCT before Andy Byford? You can't really come up with any names, at least not, you know, very quickly. What what was it about his personality, his leadership style that kind of resonated and, and made it such, you know, uh, people saw it as a tragedy that he ended up leaving. What was it about Andy Byford, the guy? Yeah, I you know, his fast forward plan, which how many people even have heard of an agency plan? You know, it was marketed on the subways. He went out door to door. He went to community meetings. He marketed it and himself together. And I think that was important. Um, you know, his 60 Minutes interview gets cited a lot in the last few days of people seeing somebody who really cared about workers and emphasized them. You know, I attend the monthly MTA board meetings as long as they are and painful as they are. And, you know, he always would cite the workers. Um, And one telling thing that the day of his resignation when I was at the meeting, you know, John Samuelson, the TWU, said something very telling. He said, when reporters asked me what I thought, the first thing that came to mind was Andy Byford is not a liar. That's that's telling that he felt that, you know, both he had that personal accountability, but he had that trustworthiness and that honesty. And that's going to be a quality that's going to be hard to find in a, in a very politicized agency like the MTA. Steve, one of the things that we learned from talking to Rachel is that part of her job is to sit in on every moment of MTA board meetings. She should get a medal for that. She should get a medal for that. <laughs> And she's just one of several advocates and and organizations that do that kind of work. And I think if there's nothing else that Andy Byford was able to accomplish, it's shining a light on that advocacy, shining a light on that accountability that needs to take place within the MTA. Now that he's gone, uh, we don't know who is going to take up that mantle of accountability, but there's certainly going to be writers and advocates like Rachel demanding it. Yeah, I think, you know, we've got a number of recommendations as a good government group about improving accountability and transparency. Um, One thing that people may not think about, but journalists certainly do, is freedom of information requests. So, you know, the public has a right to government information that's held by agencies. And unfortunately, you have to sometimes pull it out of them through requests. We'd like to see the MTA completely overhaul the way it does freedom of information um, requests. We'd like them to put more of their data online, their contracts online, so the public can actually have a better window into what they're doing. Um, But aside from some of those transparency issues, 
you know, there's a number of um, appointments that go to the MTA board. The mayor gets four of them. Right now, actually, he has two vacancies on the board because one of his appointees um, wasn't able to get through the session last year. We think one governance reform could be that how about having those appointees from the governor and from the county executives go straight to the Senate and bypass the governor altogether? Why does it have to go through the governor in terms of um, approval? That's one thing to consider so that, you know, the city's voice on the MTA, if it's going to be this body where you've got, um, you know, a split of city and governor appointees, why not make it so the city's voice isn't, you know, hampered through political decisions? What do New Yorkers, what should they feel about with uh, about the MTA at this point in time? I think it's, you know, important for New Yorkers to to keep the drumbeat on the changes that need to happen. Um, the MTA has a $55 billion capital plan. Making sure that they deliver on that is going to be incredibly important. You know, it's not going to be Andy Byford or his team, but it's going to be the others at the MTA who need to deliver on that. You know, they want to fix a bunch of the subway lines and get modern signals so the trains can run faster. They need to buy new subway cars. They need to buy new buses. I think ensuring that they deliver on that is is going to be something that's important for um, the public to keep an eye on, as well as you know the city and state elected officials to you know hold them accountable. I'm actually going to Albany tomorrow for a executive budget hearing on transportation, where the MTA is going to testify, and hopefully the legislators will do a good job holding their feet to the fire. Do do we think this massive bureaucracy, as as the governor likes to call it, is this sustainable into the future? Is the, is the culture there? something that can continue to go on. Uh, I mean, we, I, I look at Save Safe Seconds, Andy Byford's campaign to fix uh, the signal timers that were slowing down trains for decades. And it kind of just became a problem that festered and festered. Nobody really wanted to take care of it until he came in, put fresh eyes on it and said, why has nobody dealt with this before? Is that kind of culture in a massive bureaucracy something that can be turned around, especially with Byford now out the door? Yeah, I think that that's a good example of management and leadership uh, and management and labor working together really well. And that's going to be something, you know, like I said, John Samuelson saying he's not a liar. That's significant. Having a leader come in, whoever's the next head of New York City Transit, the subways, um, I think it's going to be important for them to use the talent within the MTA, try to, you know, ensure that people stick around. There is a morale problem at the agency and Andy Byford leaving is certainly not helping. And um, it's going to be incumbent on them to ensure that they keep attracting people and making it an agency where people do want to work. Excellent, Rachel. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, happy to be here. Steve, the next biggest thing that happens in the city uh, and the state with regard to our transportation system is congestion pricing. Right. A lot of people have been looking at this as how is this going to affect car drivers, but the end product is going to be more funding for the MTA. The big question is how are they going to use this money? They've had problems in the past of not spending all their money, not being entirely transparent about where the money is going. They're going to have a lot more money to work with now, and there's going to be a lot of questions about where that money's going. So explain it to me. Congestion pricing will be a charge that will be attributed to uh, drivers that come into, we don't know the full rules yet, but the spirit of it is to charge drivers that come south of 60-something Street, say, that money is going to go to improve the subways. Right. It's all going to the MTA. And that was kind of the, the big selling point for Governor Cuomo, for these advocates. The MTA needed more money. Uh, at the same time, we needed to get more people out of cars and taking transit. 
this is kind of killing two birds with one stone. Uh, the big question, of course, is what are going to be the rules around congestion pricing? Uh, the debate right now is uh, there's a body set up to determine those rules. Uh, is Are the meetings of that body going to be public? And should the public have a say? That's not determined right now, but we're getting closer. The clock is ticking. Uh, congestion pricing could be with us by this time next year. So those will be in-depths for other days and other weeks. And, Steve, we're going to invite you back to do that. So the 880 In-Depth Podcast is a weekly podcast. We encourage people to subscribe. You can search for 880 In-Depth wherever you get your podcast. We encourage you to subscribe, push it out to your friends, tell people about it, uh, and uh, rate us, right? rate us and, and tell us how we're doing. We're always open to suggestions. I know what we're doing next week because we already had this conversation. You're going to be in New Hampshire uh, beginning to cover politics that come to the East Coast because obviously the Iowa caucus occurs next Monday. You'll be in New Hampshire when the Iowa caucus uh, uh, victor is declared so that you could hit the ground running for New Hampshire. Right. All those candidates kind of t- take the same charter plane from Des Moines and come up to Manchester, New Hampshire. I'll be up there for two weeks. Uh, very excited to, to see all the candidates, uh, see what the, the big priorities are for New Hampshire voters, notoriously uh, independent-minded. Excellent. See you next week. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.